This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. If you would open your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 15. If you're visiting, my name's Darren. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, It's possible I haven't met some of you yet. We are getting to the end of Romans We've taken the scenic route through Romans, which is not hard to do. And while you're turning there, um, it was a few years ago that um, Shannon and I had been at a a church for uh, seven or eight years, and it had become time for us to move on, which happens in churches all the time. We always tell our staff, like when someone, if someone has moved on from Conduit and you see them at Walmart, don't be weird. Because it's not weird. God has missions and he has assignments and it's totally fine. Like so, um, but this one, I, it was, I remember it was, um, it was the, the, the last night that we were leading this group of young professionals and college uh, kids. And um, this is the last night. And so uh, it was... It was dark, it was the end of the evening, everyone had gone, it was just me, and it was the pastor, and, and I was kind of nervous, because um, I, I, mean, I don't know the etiquette, because it's, it's, it's not like you're breaking up with your girlfriend in ninth grade, but it's somewhere near that, like I don't know what the, what the etiquette is, I don't, you know. Um, and so, uh, I, I handed him the key to the door, because I didn't you know what you're supposed to do, and we shook hands, and... But the thing that I was nervous about was I kind of knew that that would probably be the last time that I would talk to him because that happens uh, over the seven to eight years that I'd been there, that happened to to many and many people, and I realized we would not be any different. And and, and it was true, it was accurate that we shook hands and that was, uh, we hadn't spoken for a while. Uh, And so as we were leaving that, we were experiencing something that probably most people in this room have already experienced, uh, you will one day experience, uh, or you're right in the middle of experiencing it right now, which is some form of you've gotten wounded inside of a church. And Romans 15, Paul is talking to this church and saying to them, here's how to deal with discomfort and controversy and uh, conflict inside of a church family. And, and, and the reason is the stakes are really high for us to get this right. And so if you're in Romans, I'm just gonna read the first 13 verses. Um, verse one, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up, for even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. He's talking to a church about the church inside of the church. Chapter 14 was how we're dealing with the people outside the church. This is inside the church, Christians dealing with Christians. Verse four, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. 
in verse 5. May the God who gives us endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 7. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed. Moreover, that the Gentiles, most of us in this room, might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles, I will sing the praises of your name. Again it says, rejoice you Gentiles with his people. And again, praise the Lord all you Gentiles, let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one will rise over the nations, and him the Gentiles will hope. And verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's God's word, let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you give us insight to your word? Would you give us wisdom? Lord, the world that we're in right now is super complex. It's very complicated. But your word is clear. Your love is very simple. So I pray today that we will listen and hear the simplicity of of your word for us. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. So Paul says, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. And if you've got like a really fancy Bible, it might have a little letter next to it. If you've got your uh, magic Bibles on your phone, uh, it might have the little, you just click on the, what that little letter says. And it's, if you do that, it's going to take you to Psalm 69, verse 9. And if you've got your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn there because I want to show you something. This, what Paul is pointing out, what the Holy Spirit has inspired him. The insults of those who have fallen on the exact quote is, the insults of those who insult you fall on me. Now, if you're just reading that from Romans, what you might think is that I'm being insulted and my insults are falling on God. So they're insulting me, but, they're, but God's taking it. If you read it just at one glance, that's what it seems like. But in Psalm 69... A messianic psalm, a prophecy given hundreds of years before Christ walked the earth, it shows us that that's not at all what he was saying. What he's saying is that the insults that David was getting and Jesus would get were actually insults aimed at God. And Jesus was, or in this case, David was, the collateral damage of the insults meant for God were falling on him. We experience that a lot from the outside world, when we, th- we say things that are true but we're being insulted, they're not really insulting us, they're actually insulting God, but we're the collateral damage of the insult. But here's what jumped out at me, way more than that. He says the insults of those who insult you, right, fallen on you. The, that's half of the verse. The other half is the first part of that verse, verse nine, Psalm 69, verse nine, is for zeal for your house consumes me comma, and the insults of those who insult you fall on me. 
Again, Paul talking in Romans 15 about uh, conflict inside of a church, inside of God's house, parenthetically, this building is not God's house. First uh, Peter 2 verse 5 says that his house is us. We are the living stones that come together to make the house of God. All this does is keep the house of God from getting rained on or cold or hot or whatever. This, we just put a building over top of the house of God. So, but he's saying here that zeal for your house consumed me. Now there's one other place in the Bible where someone quotes that first part of verse nine and not the second part, and that's Jesus in John chapter two, speaking of Jesus, and if you've got your Bibles and you wanna look really spiritual, turn to John chapter two, because that's an easier one to find. When Jesus, right, aren't you so glad that I don't say turn to Habakkuk or? Do you know what I mean? I could make this hard on you guys. In John chapter two, Jesus has gone into the temple. He's at the beginning of his ministry. And he sees that in this temple, there were uh, people selling doves, selling sacrifices, changing money. You couldn't actually uh, donate in the specifics. You had to literally go like you're going into a new country. You had to exchange your money into this specific currency. And they were charging extra so that you could do this. They were basically putting money and power on top of what was meant to be, they were extorting from widows, extorting from the poor and the oppressed instead of giving to them. And Jesus doesn't really much care for that. And so he goes in and it says that he, uh, in verse 16, 17 in this range, that he, he fashioned a, uh, a whip <laughs> out of cords, which meant he thought about this. Like this wasn't like he just picked up a microphone stand and went to town. Like he went out and put it together and went back in, turned over tables. And then in verse 21, actually in verse, let's do verse 16. Those, to those who sold the doves, he said, get out of here, stop turning my father's house into a market. I believe your King James says a den of thieves. And his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Zeal for the house of God, for the church, consumed Jesus. Zeal for the house of God ought to consume us. Not this building, but zeal for this house, this body. And the reason is, what he meant to have happen with the church. And by the way, not only what he meant to have happen with the church, what happens with the church all over the world. You're never gonna see it on a blog because nobody clicks on it. Nobody on Twitter is tweeting about it because nobody will retweet it. You'll see the den of thieves. You'll see things that maybe were handled poorly. But you won't see the churches in Africa that are faithful and men and women serving God and these pastors in these brick kilns and that none of that's going to be there. So I want to make sure that you know for sure that the church of God as a whole is fine. In the words of Mark Twain, rumors of my death have been greatly exaggerated. But for us in our world right now, in this specific culture, in this specific moment in time, us finding a zeal for the house of God 
is critical, not only for now, but for the future of our families, of our cities, and of our nations. And the reason is he lays it out here in these next few verses. We won't have time to go to all of them. But a zeal for the house of God, in these first few verses, it shows like what a community of Jesus people would look like. So if I've got a zeal for the house of God, for what can be accomplished, if we get this right here, we get that right in Pakistan, right? Like if we can get that right here, then 232 families go free. If we can keep getting it right here, 232 more families can go free. If we get it right here, we'll drill more wells in Uganda. If we get it right here, more people will be freed from addiction in Columbia, Tennessee. You know what I mean? If we can get it right here, we get it right there. And so a zeal for the house of God, Jesus wasn't just like a zeal for the house of God arbitrary and capricious. It was because he knew that when Jesus' people come together in unity, that we literally can change the world for the better. And in these first few verses, he, he specifically talks about one of the ways that we have to do that is we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak, not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. Now, getting it right here means that there are going to be those of us here in this room that are going to get it wrong together. I'm, I'm going to get it wrong. You're going to get it wrong. And what do we do with that? He, he says here, to what we do with that is that we bear the failings of the weak. Now, interestingly enough, the weak are actually the ones that are the more religious. The weak are the ones that are the more um, because in chapter 14, we saw that the ones that were trying to enforce that you can only do it on this day, that you can only eat these foods, that you can only worship this way. You know, we, we have people, and you might have even this morning, by the way, felt super uncomfortable that I was not protecting communion from unbelievers because of something that you felt, and that might have made you uncomfortable. And some are really uncomfortable to the point where they've actually left our fellowship. But is that a weak or is that strong? Is it, they're actually going to the same scripture that I'm going to and we just have a different interpretation of it. What do I do with that if someone sends me the really mean email that says that they didn't want to, like, they didn't like the way we did that and they were going to go someplace else? Now, here's what I want to do. Don't let the, what is that, the old saying? Don't let the door hit you where the good Lord splits you. Like that was, that was. <laughs> That was the way my pastor would have handled that when I was a kid. <laughs> now, does that sound like Jesus? It's hilarious. Gratifying, I might add. And from a very, very bad place in my heart. <laughs> to bear that means, it, it uses the word endure here. Learning endurance. This is how Jesus endured on the cross. Right? And he, what did he endure on the cross? He endured my crap on the cross. So enduring that means that I don't go get revenge, that I don't tweet, that I don't do a Wednesday night sermon where I vaguely refer to somebody. Does anybody grow up in that church where somebody... Got, fired or whatever, and then like on Wednesday night, there was some sermon where you knew exactly who they were talking about, even though they never said who they were talking about. Remember that? 
If you didn't grow up in the church, you have no idea what I'm talking about, but some of y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. That's not what he asks us to do. To, to bear and to endure implies that this isn't going to be necessarily a lot of fun. My wife and I uh, were blessed to be able to spend some time in Mexico over uh, just after Christmas break, birthday, whatever. Uh, we didn't endure any of that. We enjoyed every second of it. When Eric and I were in Haiti a couple months later, uh, air conditioning off and lights and you know, almost getting kidnapped, the whole production, like, like we, that, we endured that. Like that was an enduring thing. There's a difference between enduring and enjoying. And what he's asking us to do here is implying that there's going to be places where you're going to be let down, where you're going to, and you look, you might actually have a case where someone has done something that was mean to you. And the opportunity we have here is to either revenge, avenge ourselves, or to bear it. And I, I feel like I have to say this because I don't want anybody to misunderstand what I'm saying. If, if there's a, a, literally abuse, like physical abuse, if there's sexual abuse, if there is uh, verbal abuse, anger issues, you can draw boundaries there because it says bear them, uh, accept them for their own good. Like that, for their own good does not mean that I'm just going to let you just treat me however you want to treat me and let you walk right all over me. That is not for their good either. Sometimes, honestly, you let them do that not for uh, their good but for your good because you don't want to risk the friendship or risk the, the, the drama or whatever with it. So you kind of just, you're doing it for your good, not their good. But for their good, sometimes it means I got to speak up and I got to say, you can't act that way around here. And sometimes in my role as a shepherd, we have to say to somebody, hey, this isn't, gonna, this isn't helping right here. You're actually causing harm. We love you. We want to restore you. But there are moments where we do speak up in those situations. It's not asking you to uh, to eternally be a victim here. It's for their good. That's a key word that's easy to miss out on. But what the point of this is, as a whole, this community that Paul was talking about is when you bear the failings of the weak, instead of going to Twitter about it, go to Jesus about it. Instead of going to social media, go to Jesus about it. And bear that in that way. The idea that what I have to do now is call out the oppressor to, to tear them down because somehow I'm the one that's going to fix it. And I get that, by the way. Shannon and I, we had that very, very sincere temptation to want to do something which was called defend ourselves. We really wanted to speak up and say, that wasn't true, this isn't that, and here's what really happened, and here's, and there's a, there's a verse in Psalms where David actually speaks about letting God be his defender. And we're, you know, we're, I don't know, 20, almost 20 years removed from that specific situation, but God was our defender. And over time, God was. And what I learned in those times was that the, the pastor that, that, that was the guy for us, he's a good man. He's a godly man. He loves Jesus. He loves his family. But hurt people hurt people. He didn't mean anything harmful by it. If I put him into the case of oppressor and me the oppressed, that means that he is out of the kingdom and I am in the kingdom. And the last place you want to be is in the place of picking sheep and goats. It's not your job. 
You're not Holy Ghost Junior and neither am I. No, allowing me to do that, to look back and say, I love that guy. I love his wife. I love his children. I wish them well and that I mean it because he loves the same Jesus I love. And when you read further into Psalm 69, there's a part where David says, and you know what? I wasn't such a great guy either. I did some really dumb stuff. God, please don't let anybody fall because of my folly. It's at the very first part of Psalm 69, and that's a prayer that I want to pray a lot. Lord, I am a, I'm an idiot. I do dumb stuff. Please don't let anybody fall because of my folly. And the reality is, is that in our church family, uh, there are certain ways that I feel like we're not going to hurt you as far as leadership goes because the ways that we were hurt, we've learned a lot. But we'll make up new ways. I'll blow it in different ways. If you've been around a while, you know that, man, my phone gets overwhelmed in a hurry and I'm like, I don't even know where I'm at with my text messages and Amber Heslip has been, got the Holy Spirit job of trying to make some kind of sense of my inbox. And I'm going to let you down in, in that way. And I hate it. Every time I close my computer at night, I'm letting somebody down or somebody's because I just ran out of time. And one of the things that Mike Howard shared with us in our staff uh, meeting just this past week is uh, in, in ministry, you're going to let people down. Make sure you choose who those are. Don't let your families be the ones that you choose. to. If you have a choice, choose your family to not let down over the church. And I just want you to know from the bottom of my heart, I love everybody in here. And I'm not going to sacrifice my family on the altar of ministry. And I don't want you to either. And when I do that, that means that somebody's going to get let down. And just like David, I'm asking for the same mercy. Because he goes on to say here in the next few verses, uh, verse 5. By the way, I, you can forget the slides, Leanne. I'm sorry. We're done with that. Uh, verse 5. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He gives me endurance and he gives me encouragement. And he's asking me and you to now do that for each other. Because I, I mean, I honestly can tell you, and I'm not even doing like an all shucks routine, I'm not a picnic to be around. I'm an introvert, like I'm trying, you know. But you ain't that great either. <laughs> because we're all humans. And the thing is, is that there are deal breakers for you that are not deal breakers for me. You've got rules that sometimes I know what they are and sometimes I don't. The worst are when all of a sudden I didn't know there was a rule, but now I know well, I didn't know I violated a rule because I know there was a rule. Sometimes I know there's a rule and I violate it anyway. But because we're humans and we're working together in this thing, we're stumbling towards redemption together. We're going to run into each other in the process. And the church of Jesus that he left behind is so important that a zeal for this church is worth me getting my feelings hurt by you and pushing through it anyway. It's just worth it.
By the way, when you hear a baby in a church, that's the sound of life. So you just, if anybody has the interpretation, feel free. But no, she's... <laughs> no, I just want you to know that that's fine. So if, if, if Nicole, you guys are perfectly fine. Don't worry about it. You know, this isn't an airplane. This is a Jesus place. So we've the sound of life here. With one mind, verse 6, and one voice, we can glorify God. If I can give you encouragement and you give me encouragement, I give you peace and then what happens together in that is now you and I can glorify God together with one voice and one mind and when you do that powerful things happen there's something about unity there's something about believers willing to endure each other's nonsense that the Holy Spirit gets in the middle of that and does stuff that is so far beyond what we could do on our own that it's worth the pain. Acts chapter two, when the Holy Spirit fell, they were with one mind and one voice and one accord. What you see so often in churches in Asia, in churches in Africa, in South America, wherever, Haiti, is they don't have nearly as many things to disagree about. Like, nobody's complaining about the parking there, Kay, because they don't have cars. Nobody's griping about the paint color of the church because it's just cinder blocks. When you start to strip away these things on the periphery, it's easier to get into the agreement that we need, one voice and one mind, and let me tell you what, God does amazing things with a group of people that agree and are on the same page. I've said it before, but I've got four children and they agree on almost nothing. But if there's a moment where they're all coming together and they want to see the same movie at the same time, I don't care how dumb the movie is. Sonic Hedgehog 2, I'm in. If all four kids, and they're all agreeing at the same thing at the same time, it does something to the heart of a father and moves him. And so for us to put aside our differences, us to put aside the periphery, and, and what he's talking about specifically, going back to the fact, I'm not talking about abuse. He's talking specifically about doctrinal things, days and diets and opinions about how church services should be run. That's what he's talking about. If we can get together and say, you know what, I, I would prefer that we didn't do, do communion this way, or I would prefer that we had more flags running around here on a Sunday, but we could, which is not going to happen. But if you prefer that, <laughs> you can put that preference aside. <laughs> God could do amazing things, and we can glorify our Lord Jesus Christ. And look, I don't know if you've noticed, the world is divided as it's ever been. Ever. And it's the time and the opportunity right now for the church of Jesus to be as united as we've ever been. If somebody who doesn't know Jesus is looking at a church and all they're seeing is the same thing they see at a college or at their high school, what would they want anything to do with that? That doesn't bring glory to Jesus at all. What brings glory to Jesus is when we act like who he created us to be, children of God that we might with one mind and one voice bring glory to Jesus. And here's why it matters. I'm gonna just skip right down to the back into the last few verses. Because when we do that together, 
Church of Jesus, what we were created to do. I've been in disasters all over the world. Many of you have as well. And let me tell you what I don't see there. I've never seen a group of atheists with matching t-shirts helping. I've never seen a group of secular human progressives with their matching t-shirts helping. I see Jesus people everywhere. When tornadoes in Alabama strike, before the government, before FEMA, before anybody gets there, Jesus people are showing up with chainsaws and clothes and water. I've seen it over and over again here and around the world when the tsunami hit in Indonesia 15 years ago. A great revival broke out in the north of Indonesia and the reason was brothers and sisters in Indonesia who were dying and who were suffering didn't see Saudi Arabia or the UAE or the local first Muslim church. They saw a whole bunch of Baptists and Pentecostals and Presbyterians flying in and bringing help and bringing relief. The last part of chapter 15, he says, this church, we're getting along and here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna take this money from you churches that are getting along and doing awesome things and we're gonna bring it to the people in Jerusalem at that point who were in famine, who were suffering, they were in persecution and we're going to bring relief to them because the church of Jesus Christ, as important as what we experienced here this morning is, and it is important, The greatest witness that we have is when we go to West Africa and we drill a well and we just say it's open to the community. You don't have to come and accept Christ to get this. You don't have to do anything. It's just free to you. And right next door, the mosque is selling water because it's a source of income for them. We're able to give it away because Jesus speaks of free and of living water. There is a gospel that can be preached. It is not the social, it is literally not social justice. Jesus didn't promise that. And he didn't promise it, by the way, because the, the answer to the solution of injustice in the world is not throwing more money at it. Money isn't the problem, it's sin, it's corruption, it's evil, it's wickedness and transformed Jesus people can solve it with or without money. But when we drill wells, when we bring food, when we bring relief, when we free slaves, we, like that's, it's not like just something we do on the side. That's what we do because we're Jesus people. The first ministry that the early church had, they didn't have a kid ministry, they didn't have a youth ministry, but they were feeding widows and orphans. It's a, incredibly important that we do that not just as a nice thing to do because it's what Jesus would do and it's building an outpost of the kingdom and to go back to the original house of God and why this matters. What was it that made Jesus angry about the church, the temple, was that they were using something that was meant to help people who were in need and they turned it into something to help people who had get more. And Jesus overturned those tables. In Romans, Paul was talking to a church that was not using their house to get something that was supposed to go to the poor and to the needy. No, they were using their house as a place for controversy and conflict and arguing and controlling. And the tables that Jesus was overturning there was the tables of religion. And I would like to ask you this morning, I'm asking myself, 
What table in my heart does Jesus need to overturn? What do I need to repent of? So that we as a church body can free more slaves. We as a church body can see more people come to Jesus in East Africa and Asia and in the United States of America. God's been really clear with me lately too, by the way, that the United States is a nation. When Jesus said go into all the nations, he was standing in Jerusalem. The United States is a nation and it is just as important as any other nation is. I'm beginning to look at places like California and Oregon as a mission field. We need to be sending missionaries too. But for that to happen, for us to survive, for us to, we might have to look into our own hearts and see what tables I have built up to put between me and God and let Jesus overturn that table for me. Is it resentment? Have you put a table of resentment between you and somebody else in the church family? Do you need to let Jesus overturn that table in you this morning? Is it a table of, well, I was hurt by the last church, so I'm not gonna trust this church one of, the, one of the best things Shannon and I did was we walked away from that was we found ourselves in a new place and we trusted again. And it was risky. And you know what? We got hurt again. And you know why we got hurt again? Because there were people there. You're going to spend the rest of your life going from church to church to church and getting hurt. Because this is what people do. Sometimes we bump into each other. But if God has called you to be a part of our conduit family, would you consider this morning what table that you've got set up to put, you know, you've got that table between you and God, some sort of religion, some sort of rule that you've got now. Would you let Jesus overturn that in you this morning? I've asked David to lead us in a song before we leave. But as he's singing this morning, would you just literally prayerfully consider, have I put some put some tables up that Jesus wants to overturn? Have I gotten some insults that were meant for God that got on me, but because of that, now I've put a table up and I, it's protecting me from being hurt again, but it's still a table that Jesus wants to overturn because he doesn't want a table in, the God's, in, in, God, in God's house, you, to put you between it between you and God. It's a word we don't talk about much in church anymore, and it's called repentance. <laughs> and sure, there's things that I know, I know it, I know some have been hurt, I know some have been abused, and you need to be healed. But there are some, you've been healed, and the feeling, the pain you have now is just because you have not repented for your part. For your, for your Psalm 69, I have my own folly. <laughs> Would you consider that this morning? Maybe write in a journal if you've got it, but just prayerfully consider what tables I need to let Jesus overturn in my life so that, and by the way, those insults are still gonna come. And one of the greatest things, the gifts I've ever gotten in that was realizing, oh, they actually didn't mean that at me. They actually meant it at God. And it's true. Like they, most people that are trying to control you because of religion and it hurts and whatever, they, they don't, that's actually them trying to control God and you just happen to be between them and God. And Jesus wants you to be healed of it. He wants you to be free from it. And wants you to know that you, in that situation, you're not the weak one, you're the strong one. Act like it. Don't walk out of here today with your head low.
like a whipped puppy. You can walk out today with your head high because the lion of the tribe of Judah is leading you. Heavenly Father, would you give us wisdom and insight into what that means for us personally today? Holy Spirit, I believe that you've spoken. I pray that <laughs> even in the inadequacies of my own communications, Holy Spirit, that you speak way more adequately than I can. And that you would speak very specifically. Lord, show us somebody, there's people in this room right now that you, you are showing them and the table that they've built in, in the church, the house of God. We invite you in this morning, Jesus, to turn those tables over and take out any obstacles between us and you. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Amen.